Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. And we are back, I hope. Uh, and if, we're just going to pick up where we left off. Go ahead, Ben. Okay, so hello there, and welcome to the 207th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben. You know, I'm Ben, and those are other chilling questions and odd, odd occurrences in the studio <laughs> from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Well, I didn't cause it, but that's what you mean. Anyway, our guest this evening is Nigel Kerner, I hope. Uh, yep. An author, and for, okay, and a journalist. He was born in Sri Lanka. Uh, his mother from a British planting family and his father an officer in the Royal Navy. This international family base helped prompt a deep interest in international human affairs and how those interface with science, religion, and philosophy. From his youth, Mr. Kerner has felt driven to expose the, quote, humbug and hypocrisy in modern scientific, religious, and social thinking. Unquote. His formal graduate education is in biomedical science and human behavioral psychology. His fascination with the UFO phenomena resulted in his first book, The Song of the Greys, published by Hodder and Stoughton in 1997. This book is now noted worldwide for its radical view on the phenomenon. His latest book, Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of Souls, published by Inner Traditions, uh, Bear and Company, is the second in a trilogy about the UFO phenomenon and its social repercussions for humanity. Nigel Kernel lives with his wife and family on his estate in Middle England. And we also have, and his, his website, uh, Nigel Kerner, N-I-G-E-L-K-E-R-N-E-R dot com. And we also have with us, <coughs> excuse me, Dr. Andrew Silverman, MD, uh, the close associate of Nigel Kerner. So. Okay. Uh, Nigel Kerner, well, Andrew, welcome to be Hello, on. everyone. This is Nigel here. Very good. We're very happy to hear your voice with all the problems yeah. we've had. Absolutely. Hi. So Ben's going to start out uh, asking. Yeah, him. I just want to say hello to you, Ben, because I think we missed you the last time. So, hi there. <laughs> hello. It's a pleasure to speak to you again. So, Nigel. Yeah. For all those who didn't hear your last appearance with us, could you sum up your belief as to what gray aliens actually are? Oh, that's the $64,000 question. And, of course, I'm asked that all the time. And very difficult thing to actually quantify and qualify, not having... Uh, personal, uh, actual experience, touching experience. Uh-oh. Uh, are we still on? Um, well, we're still here. Um, okay. I don't know if we've lost... We lost, we've lost Ben, I think. I don't know. What? Oh, no. I'm... Oh, no, no. We, I thought, we thought we lost you. Ah. Uh, okay. Studio, are we, are are we there? there? Yeah, okay. All right. I'll, I'll tell you about right. whatever these things are. They don't have the technological problems. It seems that we have. <laughs> no, it, it happens every time we talk about this subject. I'm telling you, these weird things happen. Everything. It every, is strange. Every time. Ghosts. They don't mind. We talk about that till yeah. the house home. But anyway, so sorry to have interrupted you. Go ahead. Um, yeah, one could almost appear. One could almost kind of believe the conspiracy theorists and so on. However, I do. I do my best to resist that. Going back to the gray aliens and so on, these these, these things really are, I think, in their nature, a different schematic, if you like, of matter as we understand matter. And I think they come from some kind of premise that has a force paradigm, so to speak, that is different from what we consider uh, our kind of periodic table of elements and how matter is composed and so on. And I think that somehow 
uh, looking at all the evidence I've done through over 30 years of research, and uh, I'll tell you, painstaking research into this, um, I'm now convinced that these things are not of our own terrestrial space, may well be from some other paradigm of force that shifts into ours when any kind of percussion or concussion are large enough takes place, like a volcanic um, um, explosion, a, a nuclear explosion, or some kind of underground earthquake disturbance where huge amounts of force suddenly trigger a... A, a fracture, if you like, or a, uh, a break in the separating membrane of, of force that, that, that actually continues our, our kind of existential um, uh, um, mechanisms in, 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 in what we call, you know, uh, our, our world, if you like, you know, as, as a, a large schematic and so on. So I think that here we've got to consider a new type of physics with these things. And they... If, if they are, in, in, in pure physical terms, touchable, as, as uh, many people say, and of course you've got the abductees, the experiences, and so on, these particular things are very powerful, uh, <clears throat> um, matter-related. In other words, I think their neutrons are, in a different uh, sense, arranged to ours. They are heavy beings, rather like a neutron star would be a different type of materiality, if you see what I'm trying to say. And they then, at an explosion, kind of leak into our own kind of space-time um, and our, our own kind of force paradigm, and sometimes get trapped here. Very much like the story, and I don't want to go into all this kind of strange um, um, Buck Rogers business and so on, but rather like the same principle that they kind of say with the, the, the Superman um, um, stories, where in Krypton, Superman is normal, but here he's, he's super, if you see what I'm trying to say. Of course, Because he's, yeah. he's composed of something that is, if you like, in a different materiality altogether. And I think somehow these things are similar to that. And the whole business is them adapting to being trapped within our domain of force and trying to adapt to, the, to that in such a way that they may exist indefinitely because they can see that we have this dispensation of being able to do this through birth and so forth and some say through the process of reincarnation or whatever and that's where you get the different um, interesting ideas hitching up and so forth. So really I do believe they are here, they have been observed so many times that it can't it can't be some kind of imaginary thing, as many of the sceptics would, would have, have us believe. And I think that that's something that we first have to get over. Unless we accept that these things are here, what they can do to us is something with their technology is something that we really ought not <laughs> to be contemplating unless we have some kind of means or mechanism of coping with it. And that's really the problem. However... In looking at all of this and connecting up the dots, uh, um, um, Paul and Ben, I have come to the conclusion that this is probably the most powerful and the most um, um, dangerous phenomenon in our existential travail, so to speak. And unless we acknowledge it, and that's the big deal here, acknowledge that this is here and real. On, on the say-so of, 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 you know, astronauts and pilots and thousands and thousands of very well... well I'm, afraid I, I'm afraid I have to interrupt you as we did last time. We have a break coming, a planned one this time, and we will be right back with Nigel Kerner and Dr. Andrew Silverman on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Stay with us. Tune in Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern for Ask Our Intuitives. 
Ask Our Intuitives is your direct line to the divine. Meet the world-renowned team from AskOurIntuitives.com. Featured internationally on television and major news publications throughout the world. Highly sought after and in demand for their precision, innate accuracy, and divine ability to connect with spirit. Prepare to be astonished and hooked when they reveal answers about your past, present, and future and connect with loved ones that have crossed over. So get your direct line to the divine Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Ask our intuitives right here on CBS Radio's The Sky, NewSkyRadio.com. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. NewSkyRadio.com. Believe. And we are back with Nigel Kerner and Dr. Andrew Silverman. And, Nigel, before the break, you were talking about something that sounds familiar to Ben and, and, and I, and that is the, the notion of, in a sense, parallel worlds interacting and overlapping at times and that's how these greys get in am i uh my yeah, yeah. some kind of catastrophe some kind of enforced catastrophe takes place and then they suddenly get pulled in to within our frame of, of force so to speak and so on and then the question is how on earth do they cope with this and how do they do this and of course there may well be the next frame of force is, is, is in a sense more technological than ours is far more advanced in, in, in essential uh, in essentiality, so to speak, than ours. And so they come in here and they're looking for some mechanism through which they can kind of uh, prevail, uh, maybe to, to get back into their own, but at the same time, you know, if they come here and find they have powers or uh, um, properties about them that, uh, that are in fact ascendant to ours, then you can see why. In, in the old story about the devil, the fallen angel, whatever it is, suddenly discovered that it's better to try to take on the old chap himself, if you see what I'm trying yes, to indeed. say. One could understand that, couldn't one, really? Basically. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, do you have anything to add? Well, um, I mean, there's, of course, um, I'm going to be talking later about the, the, the Turin Shroud. Um, I think one... Um, could say that, that the the story about the um, the the temptation where um, Jesus met this um, this object or creature or whatever we call it that that took him up to a high point where he could see all the cities of the earth well um, as Nigel points out how high do you have to be to see all the cities of the earth you have to be in space <laughs> yes. so and this this um, thing was referred to as as satan which um, as many people will know is a, a mythological character who is said to have fallen from the sky um, and if if this is taken to be something as far removed from god as it's possible to be then uh, perhaps it would make sense that it would be just a, a mechanistic um, roboid type of thing rather than a, a living being. Interesting. Ben has a next question. All right, so what's the gray agenda? Yeah. Uh, what, what, what do they want? I think that these things really want uh, the capacity to exist within our frame of reference indefinitely and that they're doing very well, uh, thank you and the, the point about it is that we aren't doing very well, thank you, because we're not acknowledging uh, what they actually might be capable of and so forth I'm sure that um, uh, um, there are people who actually know they're here and so on, and there's a, um, a, a kind, I, I don't want to use the word conspiracy because that's very easily said but I think there is a kind of mechanism in a self-protecting cloaking 
mechanism here that allows these things to prevail in their own terms, but I think it will be at our cost because they are, as I say, non-living, unnatural in our sense of the word being. And the great thing about us, you know, Paul and Ben, is that we have an origin before the universe by implication, before the Big Bang, so to speak, and that then prevails in a uh, a mechanism of unforced, total peace, if you like, where it's all mind and all power, all knowing, where everything's totaled up. That's the, the left-hand side, so to speak, going to Godhead, if you want. I don't want to use the word God in any religious sense here, much more in a secular sense. But then you've got on the right-hand side, so to speak, uh, uh, the onion layers, if you like, you know, the layers of the onion going towards more and more uh, um, enforcedness and the lack of a totality running with the second law of thermodynamics, which is much stronger, shall we say, in their dominion of force, so to speak. Uh, and we have to cope with it in ours because everything is finite. Everything breaks up. It all goes one way. Big deal, this, um, the second law of thermodynamics and so forth. And so we've got to look at this in a much more serious kind of way than the old frivolous, let's hunt the alien out in the sky at night with our binoculars type of psychology. We've really got to take this business extremely seriously. And since your dad will tell you, Ben, uh, I've got a son of my own. He started all the trouble with me when he said, are oh, UFOs real, dad? Well, I'm sure, you're, I'm sure you're no trouble to your dad. But anyway, oh, no, I'm sure not very proud of you. But I'll I'm tell you extremely what. proud. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I tell you what, yeah. we're very proud of our sons, and I, my mind co- caused me a lot of trouble. Uh, it, uh, he actually flipped my complete existential view in doing this research to give him an answer to his question, are UFOs real, Dad? And I'm sure you've done the same to your 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 your, your father, Ben, on some occasions. Oh, no, on several occasions, indeed. <laughs> well, you've led but, right into a question, uh, if, if I can just interject this, this question from a reader. This is from... Joe Rubio in Albany, New York, and uh, it, it sort of leads into the idea of what the, the grays are. So go ahead, Ben. All right, so Mr. Joe writes, I wondered if Mr. Kerner would comment on the whole idea of alien bodies. The photos I've seen, assuming they are real, look like grays to me. Assuming also that the that autopsies have been done on these bodies, can Mr. Kerner say that they are still artificial beings? Uh, attested to, I think the greys are a mercury mulch of very fine gold wires, whatever, and they have a kind of synthetic DNA. In fact, the entire body may well be synthetic DNA. And to talk about that, you've got to look at the, re- the latest research where they find that the synthetic DNA is a very, very powerful schematic through which they can make quantum kinds of computers and so forth. It's soft tissue stuff. You know, you don't need transistors and diodes and hardwired stuff anymore. You can actually do this on, on organic, uh, on an organic chemical basis and so on. And even now, they're, they're speculating, the most uh, recent research speculates that you can have the, a massive power of gigabytes in a teaspoon of a biological soup. Uh, a special type of nanobot biological soup and this kind of thing. I don't want to go into too much detail, as I say. That's what books are for, and, and, you know, to make it a little bit more kind of um, uh, detailed and so on. But really, this is on. It's out there. You can check it out. Research it on the, on the Internet and so on. And, and this is the big thing. These things are, if you like, lifeless in our sense of the word life, but they are animate 
in the sense of some kind of electrified momentum or whatever. And they really do not understand or have a sense of self because they're programmed computers. And that makes them extremely dangerous because if the program says, look after yourself, and uh, in other words, make sure that you're there to do what we want you to do with the program, and that means they go after any kind of threat. And maybe they happened in on our universe accidentally, and boy, are they looking at us as a kind of uh, prize and a threat. And so we are in the, if you like, in the limelight, or I, I, it's a very bad way of saying it, I think, but uh, we are the target to this kind of thing. We are the lab rats, and I believe they took, they found us developed a, a primitive kind of man for a DNA spec that they need, and they now want to piggyback into this DNA spec to try to get their materiality to operate within our own spec too. But that means they are actually interfering with our propensities to actually exist in our own way. And if we go back into an eternal scale before the universe, so to speak, and there's a, 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 a semantic argument that can be given logically and rationally for this, if they are doing this, we're in a, uh, in a lot of trouble if we don't actually make sure that in some kind of way uh, we are able to circumvent uh, whatever these things might be doing to us. So well, that, that's I, leaks. Okay, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm in the process, I'm in the business of trying to tell the world, for heaven's sake, just tell us about this. We, we are, as, human, as a human family, entitled to, to have this knowledge. Don't hide it from us, thinking that systems are going to collapse, because there won't be any systems in terms of what their capabilities are if their technology can move at 25,000 miles an hour and, and turn at right angles in a second or whatever. They, they got here past that Einsteinian frame of equals MC squared, you know, where matter becomes infinite the faster you go to, uh, you, you get towards the speed of light, so to speak. These guys have something in their technology that can outmaneuver everything we do, and we have one thing going for us. We have a frame that exists eternally. Theirs is finite. If ours dies in this physical universe, with the universe, well, theirs in their thicker, harder frame of reference, so to speak, is even more vulnerable. So what they're doing is searching for a mechanism on our side of things that can give them more scope to exist, so to speak. And this, uh, I mean, we, uh, Andrew alluded to the shroud, and I, I, I think this, this whole business is connected up with this incredible phenomenon which was left as a, a relic, as an artifact, um, by an individual 2,000 years ago, a beautiful Jew called Jesus Christ, in, 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 in the kind of the Western um, um, uh, expression of it, or Jeshua uh, um, 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 ben Joseph in the, uh, in, in, in the dialect, uh, dialectical sense of, of Judaism and so forth. And this wondrous being left a souvenir on which he provided a schematic to show the whole of humanity their own potential capacity and capabilities. And Andrew, who is an expert on this and gave a fantastic dissertation at a recent um, um, uh, symposium of the best minds looking and researching the Shroud in Frascati in Italy, and I'm sure Andrew will be able to try and tie this in and hitch this thing up for you. I'm sorry to talk at this kind of monologic um, way, but I just want to get that in in, in, in in the hope that we can actually spend more time in proving to everyone that we have such a wondrous capacity as human beings that we really have to look after this because something out there might be not like us 
and would want a piece of the action. And that soul is simply our singular ancestral line going back, granddad, grandma, great-granddad, great-grandad, going back in time, as you see, to the beginning of the universe and beyond it, when everything was has to be altogether in a singularity. So I, right, I, well, I, I know that we missed the, uh, the the shroud in the last broadcast, and I wanted to yeah. get to that next section, uh, definitely. But it seems as though you've touched on a number of things, of course, and uh, we have to wrap for another break at this point. But we will be right back on Behind okay. the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio with Nigel Kerner and Dr. Andrew Silverman. Stay with us. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons. No boundaries.
Gig Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. And we are back. And you know, I thought that voice sounded suspiciously like Nick Pope. I don't know. Well, in any case, we uh, want to get into the issue of the Shroud of Turin and its connection with these gray aliens, oddly enough, and we just never have a chance to do it. So I'm just going to stop the discussion so that, so that, uh, that uh, Andrew can get into that, into that subject uh, with Nigel here. So please, gentlemen, uh, go ahead. Okay, thanks very much. Yeah. Um, first of all, just to tie it into the Shroud, what we've been talking about so far, I'd just like to say a little bit about what Nigel alluded to earlier about the evidence that we actually connect as human sentient beings, that we connect back to the beginning, back to the Big Bang itself. Um, I won't go into too much detail here because there isn't really time, but if um, listeners want to to do a search on the sayings of um, Erwin Schrödinger, who is one of the the founders of quantum theory um, around about the 1930s and so on, and he actually discovered that because of the, the... the central role of consciousness in reality and making reality real, that he made some deductions from that about the nature of space and time that imply that any sentient being has to be eternal, has no beginning, and also that fundamentally we're all one, that we all come from a single source, that the singularity is where we all were and that we've become now separate. But now um, I'll tie that in a bit later into the Shroud. So about the Shroud. Basically, for those uh, listeners who aren't too familiar with it, it's a a 14-foot-long piece of cloth which has the the faint image of a man on it and also bloodstains and marks on there from where the cloth had been damaged by a fire. Now, for, for many centuries, it was just thought to be just that, a faint image of a man. Then when photography was developed in the 19th century and a chap called Secondo Pia took a a photograph of it and uh, he said to have nearly dropped his photographic plate in, in total shock when he saw the negative because the negative photo of the shroud is a positive. In other words, the shroud image itself is a perfect photographic negative, anatomically perfect. And, you know, the thing about this image is that it's unique in that it's not painted on, it's no pigment, um, it's only on the surface fibrils of the cloth. The thickness of the image is less than the thickness of a human hair. You can actually scrape off the image with just a razor blade. It's that thin. And no one knows how that image could have got on there except that one of the people who was, one of the scientists, professor who was presenting at the the Frascati conference has done some work with ultraviolet lasers and he found that uh, laser being for a very minute amount of time, less than a millionth of a second, could actually make a similar change to the surface fibres of the cloth. But the thing about this image is that it has something else unique amongst photographs. It has distance-coded information. So when you put it through an analyzer that looks for distance-coded information, if you put any ordinary photo in there, you just get random peaks and troughs. Put the shroud image on there, and you see it coming out in perfect three-dimensional relief. And this is, as I say, unique, and it suggests and implies that the light or this this radiance that came from that formed the image must have actually come from the body of the man so the question is who was this man 
how does this achieved and what implications does that have for humanity as a whole? Now, one thing, of course, we always have to mention when we're talking about the shroud is the carbon dating, because that's going to be uppermost in a lot of listeners' minds. So a lot of people will believe it was shown to have been made in the, in the 13th or 14th century. Well, some fascinating work was done by some uh, a couple of researchers in the in the states actually Benford and Marino where they actually noticed looking at um, pictures of the cloth that it seemed to be that the area that the sample was taken from for the carbon dating seemed to be a composite a reweave of two different types of cloth and that actually we know that patches were sewn in by the nuns in the 16th century and one of the the shroud researchers Raymond Rogers when he heard about this he was he was angry because he's, he's a scientist and he said, if the carbon dating has said it's medieval, that's what it is. I'm going to prove these people wrong. So he set out to, to do the experiments to see if it could have been a reweave and he ended up proving them right and he admitted so before he died. In fact, he had a, a paper published in a, in a high-level peer-reviewed journal called Thermochemica Acta explaining that the shroud had to have been, that this place where it was, the sample was taken was from a reweave. So... The authenticity in terms of age of the cloth is unimpeached by the, by the carbon dating. And other research has, has shown from looking at pollen on the cloth and so on that it had to have been somewhere around Jerusalem, somewhere around March or April to get the, the pollen that it has on it. Now, mm-hmm. looking at the actual image, as I say, it, the question is, who was this man? Now, the, the forensic pathologists who have looked at the image very much in the way of a, like a crime scene investigation, if you like, of trying to work out what happened to this man, and they found out that he was tortured, he was whipped by, there are over a hundred marks where his, his flesh was broken and, and blood had come out, and the, the shape of the marks fits exactly with the shape that would have been made by something that archaeologists have found called a, a Roman flagrum, which was the, the type of whips that the Romans used to use. He'd been crucified, he'd been, the, had been pierced in the wrists and in the, and in the feet. Now, all medieval art shows crucifixion through the hands, but anatomists and doctors know that actually that wouldn't work. If you crucified someone through the hands, it wouldn't have the strength to, to carry the weight of the body. Interestingly, if you pierce someone through the wrist, it goes through there's something called the median nerve, which when you stimulate it, makes uh, the thumb curl in behind the hand. And in fact, that's what you see on the cloth. In fact, I mean, I could talk for hours about the anatomical details that verify that this is a real thing and not a, not a piece of art. Now, um, also, he, the, he had been pierced in the side. And the, the unique thing about it is that there was evidence that there was a, some sharp objects had been placed on his on his head like a like a cap of thorns with the blood trickling down now these are the things that are unique to the historical person that we now know as as Jesus and who in his time would have been known as Yeshua ben Yosef now the blood marks were formed before the image and the pathologists have discovered that the blood marks were formed after he had died which means that the image was also formed after he had died so this corpse okay shone brighter than the sun for less than a millionth of a second. Now, how did this happen? Why did it happen? This was the subject of of my talk. Now, I would like to say at this point that I don't have any um, religious axe to grind with regards to this at all in in vindicating the Shroud's authenticity. I actually come from a a Jewish background, and um, like many of the Shroud researchers, um, I've been drawn to it because of the 
the the challenge of trying to understand something that's that goes that takes science further that we have to extend the boundaries of what we of what we consider because if such a thing is possible for one human being then it must be possible for all. He was, after all, a human. And, in fact, he, many instances, referred to himself as the son of man, you know, wanting to always talk about his human origins. And also, um, he always uses the pains to point out, anything that I do, you can also do. And, in fact, greater than these things that I do, you can do. But That's how true. did it happen? Now, um, I was, um, I remembered something that actually Nigel, an idea that Nigel had put forward to me almost three decades ago, that perhaps, um, the nature of matter, the nature of existence is a continuum, that mind and light and matter are a continuum. And then when I went on to study physics and so on at school and so on and then take it further, um, beyond that, I began to see that quantum theory and relativity are actually perfectly congruent fitting with this idea it makes perfect sense with them that actually matter is frozen light and the whole thing is derived from thought which is why quantum theory works why the observer is so central in everything now Hmm. if we came from a state where we were all together at the origin of the beginning of the universe the singularity the big bang then what made the universe happen was it some you know um, God in the sky with a white beard waving a wand or pointing his finger or is it simply that we actually chose to be separate, that we made it happen now um, it, it makes much more sense to me that it would be that it would be the latter rather than uh, a loving God putting us into a state where we experience all kinds of suffering now if that's the case, if we have actually put ourselves here through a momentum to separate, to divide, then that could account for what scientists know as the second law of thermodynamics, which Nigel has written a lot about. In I, I, I'm going to have to interrupt you here, okay. Doctor, because we have to take another break. No problem. But let, let's continue that as soon as we get back. Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, CBS News Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. We'll be right back. Spiritually raw, the ass-whipping truth, where skeptics meet spirits and consciousness connect. Meet the four distinctly different individuals, building a multimedia enterprise revolving around the spirit world. No topic is taboo. Tune in as they expose and explore controversial beliefs behind the truths, myths, theories, and religious dogmas surrounding the metaphysical world. They're smart, witty, intuitive, with the raw sense of humor that won't allow listeners to feel sorry for themselves. Special guests, range from psychic mediums to Catholic priests and everyone in between. Be prepared for a cataclysmic collision of energies. Callers and opinions are welcome if you dare. SpirituallyRaw.com Join Kimmy Rose on interviews Thursday nights from 9 to 11 p.m. Together as a community, we will embrace the challenges in life and find a way to experience heaven on earth. Spiritual teachers and Kimmy will bring you insight on how to change your life and embrace purpose. Interviews this Thursday night starting at 9. It's all about what's within you. Tune in Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern for Ask Our Intuitives. Ask Our Intuitives is your direct line to the divine. Meet the world-renowned team from AskOurIntuitives.com. Featured internationally on television and major news publications throughout the world. Highly sought after and in demand for their precision, innate accuracy, and divine ability to connect with spirit. Prepare to be astonished and hooked when they reveal answers about your past, present, and future. 
and connect with loved ones that have crossed over. So get your direct line to the divine Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Ask our intuitives right here on CBS Radio's The Sky, NewSkyRadio.com. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. NewSkyRadio.com. Believe. And we're back with Nigel Kerner and Dr. Andrew Silverman, who is going to continue to take us deeper into the strange realms of the Shroud of Turin and its connection with gray aliens. Please continue, Doc. Thank you. Yes, we were just uh, discussing about the the second law of thermodynamics and how it makes everything decay. Everything goes into disorder and chaos rather than the other way around. And we can see this the momentum of that shown in, in human qualities such as um, selfishness, materialism, racism, and so on. These are all just the mechanisms through which we divide if we're following that initial momentum to, to separate. But there's another way that, that the great teachers of the past spoke about, like the, the Buddha, like Jesus, like Muhammad as well, like so many of them did, to say that actually this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself is not anything about being, being goody-goody or... Um, praiseworthy it's rational sense mathematical sense if you want to exist because if you don't then entropy will take everything apart now what i believe the in the connection of the shroud to this is as you separate you become more atomic more material if you like so uh, if you imagine like um thought coming into light into matter and becoming more frozen and the end stage of it is the lowest point of of life like a virus and then there's inanimate matter like a stone or the greys are actually inanimate matter now if we actually um, an amalgam of of thought and matter if the thought becomes completely dominant through this binding, uniting, and caring and compassion, which is what Jesus taught. If you want to summarize what he taught, I would say he actually addressed the second law and he said, you know, don't store up your treasure where there's moths and rust and thieves, all about things that break down, but there's another world where things are eternal and you get there through caring and compassion. And so he actually just not didn't just speak about it but he lived his life in that way and perhaps by doing so he actually changed his atoms to unfreeze that light so that after he died his body shone and and many scientists actually believe that the turin shroud is like a photograph of the resurrection if you like that this actually is something that actually happened and his demonstration on a mountain of the what's known as the transfiguration where he shone brighter than the sun may be an actual process that any human being is capable of if they do it enough if they follow enough what what he showed and um, what he taught that perhaps this therein lies hope for for all mankind that anyone can achieve what he did and as i said um the connection between him and um and this this gray phenomenon you can see from the, the this story about something that came and and took him and uh, up to a high point, which is basically would have had to have been out in space. And I think this would be where perhaps Nigel could come in and take that further. And, and, and that's the real point about this is, is the reality and the power of livingness, that we all inherit this and we never must underestimate the power of our humanity and the size of it. And that's, I think, what Jesus Christ was trying to demonstrate to us. L- listen, folks, 2,000 years later, you will have difficulty in believing me, but I'll tell you, I leave an artifact here that will 
prove that your own science 2,000 years later isn't up to what I can do kind of thing. And most importantly, what you guys can do if you believe enough and use mind to focus and bring things together in a paradigm that might be explained as love, if you like, bringing parts together and so on, rather than making things apart, uh, taking things apart and so on and so forth. Now, you know, there are numerous accounts within many of the texts of that are not included in the normal Christian codex, so to speak. They threw it out because a bunch of people wanted to hog the whole business, if you like. They <laughs> go around at the moment in Pope mobiles and Cardinal Cadillacs and so on. Well, really, this is all a false paradigm as far as I'm concerned, the organized side of it. But the old text, like the, Gnostic, the Coptic Gnostic Gospel and so on, in which Jesus carefully explains, you know, uh, to his apostles exactly how to deal with the alien beings should they be faced with them. Most notable of these explanations is that given in the first apocalypse of James in the Nag Hammadi Codex. Check it out for yourself. In this yeah, Jesus... Yeah, in this, Jesus explains to the Apostle James how to cope with these beings who take away souls by theft. What better description of abduction could there be than that, you know? Jesus goes on to tell, yeah, Jesus goes on to tell James, uh, when he also says to you, uh, where will you go? You are to say to him, to the place from which I have come, there shall I return. And if you say these things, you will escape their attacks. I mean, he's actually paraphrasing and saying, look, if any of these greys come and do this kind of thing to you, tell them that they are machines, in fact, that they are less than an insect. And because they don't know they're machines, a machine can't know self, can't know itself. It runs on a program relentlessly. And that's the whole point about it. Fear, do not fear these things, because they themselves are looking for an answer to their capacity against ours, so to speak, and ours is infinitely superior to theirs because we have the infinite propensity and theirs is strictly limited with the second law of thermodynamics. And in the, in, in the Sophia of Jesus Christ, for instance, it talks about molded beings that were condemned as robbers, I'm quoting now, because they welcomed the blowing of the breath of God but they were not able to receive that power for themselves. In other words, you can't make Pinocchio into a, a boy. <laughs> Pinocchio <laughs> will stay a puppet, so to speak, if you see what I'm trying to say, because it's made as a grey roboid. And that's the big deal that we have to tell the whole world about these things, the greys, or whatever comes in terms of an artificial, synthetic, axiomatic, iconic mechanism, if you see what I'm trying to say. And that is the big deal that I, I, I would like to to point out by connecting up the dots to everybody. I'm sorry this is a long uh, tirade and dissertation, but please check it out for yourself on the Internet. If it's possible, get the references. Don't, you don't have to buy my book if you don't want to read my book, but go and look at these things in that rational way. Uh, you've got to get rid of your prejudices. I had to get rid of mine. My son taught me that. <laughs> there, oh, you are, yes. I see. there you are, I see, Paul. Sons can be useful sometimes. Oh, my goodness, only... I know. Better than anything. <laughs> it's about well, the only Nigel... useful thing my boy's done, actually, <laughs> to be honest. Well, Nigel, <laughs> and Andrew, you've given us food for a lifetime of thought, It's it's and, and your work matches uh, frighteningly with ours, I must say. And I'd like to get back... Uh, another show and talk about defense measures as as you began to touch upon uh so deep and so profound and uh i just wanted to give you a moment because we're coming down to the end of the show here to mention your books and your website please uh, please go ahead 
Hello, I mean, uh, I really, uh, just, it's all there in uh, nigelkerner.com, and I really want to say that in passing, to be honest, because it really is, and I really sincerely mean this, it's not about my book, it's about you out there, really, basically. And I don't want to sound like a preacher with praise the Lord, pass me the money type of nonsense. I just simply (laughs) say, it's all about us, you guys out there. That's exactly the way we feel. Also, um, the the proceedings of the uh, Frascati conference have now been been published, and uh, we'll um, we'll email you a, a link to put on your site if you like to the we will do that. paper that I. Uh, Excellent, very good. Well, I'm afraid we're done. So, but uh, I, I wanted to thank both of you so very much. We will be in touch, and we're definitely going to do this again. But you explained yourselves very well, and uh, despite all the technical problems, thank you so yeah. much. Thank you for having and us. And we'll be talking to you yeah. very soon. Yeah. Okay. And what, and what a lovely father and son d- duo you make. I hope my son and I can live up to that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's very kind of you to say. Very good then. Okay. Well, Nigel Kerner and Dr. Andrew Sullivan, uh, Sullivan, Silverman, I should say. NigelKerner.com. Check it out. Right. Okay. Go ahead, Ben. All right. So don't miss our New England drive time show in the Boston Worcester Province Triangle on WON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern. All right, very good. And as you know, uh, behindtheparanormal.com is our show website. You can get up well over 200 podcasts now, uh, all sorts of different subjects. Learn about future guests, past guests, and learn about us, too. All right. As we already said, don't forget about our podcasts. And you can also hear rebroadcasts of Behind the Paranormal on Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here on CBS New Sky Radio. And many thanks to our producer, Will Kosnick of Infinite Patience. And we'll see you right here next Sunday, January 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, on CBS New Sky Radio, newskyradio.com, when Ben and I will welcome controversial filmmaker, ancient mysteries expert, and self-proclaimed reincarnation of psychic Edgar Casey, David Wilcock. And uh, we already talked about the rebroadcast, so we're going to leave you with a quote from American entertainer Ellen DeGeneres. The only thing that scares me more than space aliens is the idea that there aren't any space aliens. We can't be the best that creation has to offer. If so, we're in big trouble, unquote. All right, thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time.